Welcome to the Edge Podcast, your home for recruiting news and team analysis inside the Oregon State Beavers football, basketball, and baseball programs. BeaversEdge.com is the authority on all things Oregon State athletics. Now, here's your host, BeaversEdge.com editor, Mike Singer. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to this, Beaver Nation. This is editor here at BeaversEdge.com, Mike Singer, here for another episode of the Edge Podcast, joined by Brendan Slaughter. How's everything going, Brendan? Things are going good, Mike. How about yourself? Uh, good, Brendan. Appreciate it. Um, so are we're going to do our podcast a little bit different today. Um, I actually have a little bit of like a segment um, to start this off, um, but let me start with this. For those of you who don't uh, maybe follow Beaver's Edge super closely or maybe you started following the website recently, we launched uh, the day before the Minnesota game in 2016, and that was my first day covering Oregon State Athletics. So it's been uh, a journey these past um, getting close to two and a half years, and um, this 2019 season will be our fourth season at Beaver's Edge. Uh, covering the the football program, um, so I say that to give the point. Yes, I'm I'm newer to Oregon State football. Uh, Brendan Slaughter, our senior writer here at Edge, uh, been following Oregon State football since he was born. Brendan, I believe what your story is that you were at the um, the Notre Dame OSU Fiesta Bowl. You were at that game and you were in diapers or something. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good. Uh, that's that's pretty much right on the mark. Uh, you know, I think my first game was uh, sometime in the late '90s. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much on point. I've been following for most of my life. So I'm newer um, and can bring a little bit different perspective. So um, I'm thinking this week about the Pac-12 North and specifically the Pacific Northwest. Um, so you got the Beavs, the Ducks, the Huskies, and the Cougars. And, and I'm thinking, what would it take for Oregon State to be the best team in that region? Um, and as I'm thinking about that, I'm like, man, um, I would love to just be a total homer for you guys. But let's face it, Oregon's just a better football program uh, all around than Oregon State is. Washington is a much better program, I would say, than Oregon is. So, you know, do the do the math there. They're a better program than the Beavs. So, um, so I would say those two are just on a different level. They've had uh, better coaching. Just look in the past decade. You know, the Ducks had Chip Kelly. Um, Washington's had Chris Peterson for the, for the past several years. Better coaching, um, better facilities. Uh, I would say Oregon State's kind of caught up now. But, you know, just look at the past decade. Better facilities. Both of those schools kind of have things, and the football programs have things unique to them that kind of make them um, stand out. And I think you look at these things, it's helped them get more recruits. Just, um, you know, the facilities, great coaching, you know, look at Oregon and their flash, the glitz and glamour. It's helped them get recruits over the years. So for Oregon State to get up to that Washington, Oregon level, I think it's going to take a little bit of time. But let's compare Oregon State to Washington State. Because uh, I think that's a better comparison right now. I, Washington State's a, a much better football team than Oregon State right now. But I think that you look at these two programs, Oregon State does better in attendance. I know um, the stadium in Pullman's smaller. The, the capacity is not a, a whole lot, and they pretty much fill up that stadium for the most part. But just look at the statistics. Oregon State uh, has better attendance per game by about, what, 5,000? fans a game um i would say corvallis is a better town than pullman i've never been to pullman myself but <laughs> uh seen and heard a lot uh in terms of pictures and what people said about pullman um it, it different strokes for different folks i guess i i wouldn't like pullman but ben to corvallis and i really um love that place i would say corvallis has a, a pretty sizable edge um over pullman Corvallis is near Portland. Oregon State's near Portland. Uh, Portland's a really cool place. Pullman is basically in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then you look at Oregon State and Washington State. About the same in all-time wins. Um, Washington State's win percentage is just slightly um, above Oregon State's. So 
you look at these two teams from kind of a historical standpoint, they're not too far off. But why is it so much different right now? Um, and I'm thinking about this this week. Oregon State needs a unique brand of football like Washington State does. You think about Washington State, the first thing I think of is the Pirate and just how kooky Mike Leach is. But also, um, you think about the air raid and how they recruit players for that system that just work well there. Um, and what could that niche be for Oregon State football? Jonathan Smith is under that Chris Peterson umbrella, and when we're writing articles last this, you know, um, this time around this time last year before Smith was named, I love Jonathan Smith as a candidate. I think more than a lot of people did because he was under that Chris Peterson tree. And when you think about Peterson, mainly at his time at Boise, I'll go back to because Smith uh, coached under him at Boise State. Uh, and I followed Boise a lot back then. I was just very intrigued uh, with that program. Peterson's teams were very tough and had excellent special teams and gadget plays. I don't know if that's going to be exactly Oregon State's niche, um, but it, I think we saw a lot of those kind of gadget plays this year. But what is Oregon State's kind of what 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 can they do uniquely that can help them? Um, succeed better in the Pac-12 because the Beavers have the resources. Um, you know the the Valley's great. Uh, I was ha- I've had the chance to take a, a tour of it, and I thought it was fantastic. Um, the locker room is just amazing. Uh, at Oregon State, have been in there, um, but the Beavers need strong coaching, and I would say for the most part they do. Uh, I like their coaches. Um, they need to win some recruiting battles against other Pac-12 schools. I think that's important. And when you look at Oregon State's commitment list, they've got some nice recruiting wins. Um, Evan Bennett, um, you know, you just scroll down the list. Teron Madison, uh, Winston, Winston Russell. I mean, these are guys that had offers from uh, other Pac-12 or other Power 5 conference programs. So that's important. But as I'm thinking about this, um, what Oregon State needs to do um, to c- enhance their brand and compete in the Pac-12 is they need to continue to find these overlooked hidden gems. So while shooting for the sky um, and getting some of these top four-star type guys is going to be great, um, what I don't want to see Oregon State do is go after all of those guys, fail, and then have to settle for kids late when they don't get those types of recruits. What the Beavs need to do is spend time looking for the kind of um, what, what's the saying the uh, the the, uh, the gem in the rough or, or um, you know the hidden gem recruit that maybe others aren't going after. Um, what Jamar Jefferson was overlooked uh, in his recruiting process. Of course, he got USC and Tennessee super late. But, you know, Jamar Jefferson was overlooked. I'm looking at this 2019 class, guys, that I think can be pretty pretty darn good that um, Oregon State did a good job evaluating and finding these guys. Jordan Whitley, a junior college defensive tackle. Um, you have Rob Vanderlaan, uh, a junior college offensive lineman. Both of these guys have plenty of years of eligibility. I'm looking at the in-state guys. Um, Anthony Gould, Corey Stover, Kelson Hennessy. Gould's a receiver. The other two are... Um, expected to come in as defensive ends. All these guys overlooked. Ryan Frankie, I've heard the world of. He's I believe he's still just ranked a two-star, mainly because um, he played defensive tackle and he's supposed to come in at an outside linebacker, um, and, and that's why he doesn't have a lot of offers as well. So I'm looking at these guys thinking, these are the types of gems that Oregon State needs to continue to recruit to get up to uh, up a better brand of Oregon State football where they should be better than Washington State. Um, I, I think Oregon State has no excuse to be a, a lesser program than than the Cougars. And right now, like I said, Cougars are like an 8-10 to 10 win team every year. And if Oregon State won five games next year, we would think that's fantastic. So it's going to take a little time. But, man, Jonathan Smith, and we've talked about this on, at the damn board recently, beaversedge.com, what kind of uh, or how long you, Jonathan Smith needs before people are kind of like, okay, we need we need to move in a different direction. 
Um, and I think I agree with, with the consensus of being like, yeah, he needs about four years before we're, we're even putting him on a hot seat. Um, so I think he's got the resources. He's got the skills uh, as a coach. He, he's got the recruiting pitch of I've been there and done that at Oregon State. You can come in here and do it too. Whew. Just throwing out a lot of thoughts, Brendan. Was that a coherent thought I just threw at you? Kind of give me your take here. Well, I think you hit a lot of it right on the button. And, you know, first of all, I, I want to go ahead and, you know, uh, kind of, you know, just piggyback off what you're saying about Oregon and Washington. And the the reality is the part where I think I maybe differ a little bit uh, with you in opinion is that Oregon State is never going to have the resources that Oregon and Washington have. And that's that's just period. Whether it's Oregon with Phil Knight Let, or Washington. Let's define resources. I'm saying if you just look at the facilities, yeah, theirs might be nicer. But Oregon State's aren't like crappy. Maybe they were a while back. But right now, since those renovations, things look pretty good there. Perhaps so. But at the same token, I think, I think uh, the big thing is nowadays, and I think we've talked about it a lot on the damn board, is you have to have – money to be able to pay top quality assistant coaches to be competitive in the Pac-12. Yeah. And the biggest thing is, you know, for for whatever it's worth, Oregon's always going to have, you know, Phil Knight in their back pocket. You see Phil Knight was the reason that Jim Levitt, you know, a, well, a big part of the reason why Jim Levitt was paid so much money to stay as defensive coordinator. You look up at Washington, they're one of the uh, only schools in the Pac-12 with a corporate sponsor and Alaska Airlines up there, you know, right up there. They also have a lot of you know, Boeing influence, a lot of money up there in Seattle. But I, I agree with you in the sense of Washington State because Pullman and Corvallis, the two programs, very similar. Um, both have gone through their ups and downs. You know, before Mike Leach got to Washington State, the Cougars bad. were bad, bad. Yeah. really, really bad. And, you know, Mike Leach kind of got there and had him competitive right away. It took him a few years to get his guys in there. And Which, kind of, that sounds exactly what, like, Jonathan Smith's situation could be, like, Beavers were bad under Gary Anderson, and then mm-hmm. take some time for mm-hmm. Smith's guys to get in there. Yeah, and, and you know there there are a lot of similarities. I think the Cougars, like you said, have a unique brand that they recruit to, and I think they also have one heck of a recruiter in Mike Leach, and they've also had really good assistants. You look at um, Alex Grinch, who left this last year, who was uh, a candidate for the Oregon State head coaching job we for a little him. while. Yeah, he, great defensive coordinator. They also had. Um, I don't want to mispronounce his name, but the defensive line coach that recruited American Samoa so well for yeah. Washington State ended up at Oregon. You know, he got Hercules Mata'afa there. You know, a couple other really, you know, uh, unique um, defensive uh, tackles and linemen and outside linebackers to kind of play a unique defensive scheme up there. So in that regard, I think Oregon State, I think they've got the right staff in place, and we'll see what happens now that they have a little bit of um, their own guys coming in and now that they're able to kind of climb out of the um, kind of the, the unfortunate circumstances that they were left with, with lack of depth and, you know, injuries this year and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, uh, there's no way to... There's no way to mix it. Gary Anderson left the cupboard very bare. I mean, Mike Riley maybe left it a little unstocked. Gary Anderson ripped it to the point where there was nothing left in the cupboard, in my opinion. So, you know, it it takes time. I'm not sure if Jonathan Smith will ever get Oregon State to winning 8, 9, 10 games consistently. But, you know, we'll see what happens. If they continue to get good athletes in there, they have good coaches, and things break their way, they get some good players you know they've already got one jamar jefferson is kind of a program piece that they can sell on the recruiting front in terms of a guy that can come in and be an instant impact i think they've got to sell instant playing time and instant impact guys um and just kind of sell the culture of uh low ego high output yeah i love low ego high output um man i i i just keep thinking about that chris peterson the, the in boise state years of how good they were um just with the fundamentals and um playing clean football that's what oregon state has to do i don't know if they're going to have better athletes you know like jamar jefferson is better than oregon state coaches thought and, and jonathan smith has admitted that pretty much uh He's admitted that without basically saying it, but so I think Jefferson's a dime a dozen. But um, so he, you can't get a Jamar Jefferson every single year. But they have to coach these guys up. Well, coaching 
is very important. You know, uh, these uh, adjustments and, and preparation for the players. The Jimmys and Joes are important. The X's and O's are important. And I think just as important as the players is getting the guys ready and getting a blocked punt a game rather than having your punt blocked. You know, like Oregon State, that's the team they have to be. They have to tackle extremely well. They have to be the team that catches the interception and doesn't drop them. They have to take the opportunities when they're given to them. Yeah, I agree. That's, uh, you know, that in terms of, you know, the Boise State comparison is unique. Um, I think, you know, um, you look at what, you know, Jonathan Smith's been there. You know, we talk about it, whether it was at Boise State, you know, or Washington, you know, um, we saw Washington with a senior quarterback and a senior running back kind of struggle on offense this season. I think that was largely attributed to not having Smith. I think he was a, a good part of the reason why they had some success and why they reached the college football playoff a couple years ago. So that gives me hope and inspiration, you know, headed to the future. And I think Jonathan Smith, I mean, in terms of the story, right, you have a guy that's at his alma mater, almost, you know, you know, in a perfect world, you'd like him to build up a program kind of like Oklahoma State. And you look at, you know, how that program was built up the same kind of way with a, a homegrown guy that played football there. Uh, you know, you can sell that to kids. You can sell that to kids because it's relatable. Definitely. Um Tell me what you think, uh, Oregon State fans. Shoot me an email. Get your pen and paper out. BeaversEdge1 at gmail.com. That's BeaversEdge1 at gmail.com. If you missed that, just go ahead and rewind it a little bit. Give me your hate. If you think I'm totally wrong and you need to correct me or Brendan or both, <laughs> or you need to tell us we're the smartest people ever, shoot me an email. would love to chat with you. Um... Yeah, I think that wraps up. Uh, I think that went better than I expected, Brendan. Um, that little segment. Um, let Let's move on. National Signing Day is just five days away, and it seems it's a weird feeling. Um, there's not much drama at all. Uh, I think we're kind of used to that, and I want to get into that next. Before I do, want to talk a little bit about kind of what's going on at BeaversEdge.com. Um, for talking to non-subscribers here, if you go at beaversedge.com, you can see, um, right at the top, um, there is a, a, a little, uh, tag that says breaking. Uh, I don't know why it says breaking. I, I should have put something else, but it says get $99 of beaver gear with an annual subscription. So basically the deal is. It, and I believe this uh, deal might be active for another. It's been active for a lot longer than I expected. It might be up for another week. If you sign up for an annual scri- subscription, um, you will get an email code for that's a $99 gift card to the Oregon State Rivals Team Shop powered by Fanatics. So if you're familiar with Fanatics, officially licensed Oregon State gear, you got. Shirts, hoodies, jerseys, all sorts of memorabilia, awesome stuff. So if you're not a sub- subscriber, check out beaversedge.com. It's right there on the front page. Can't miss it. Um, you can also email me at beaversedge1 at gmail.com with any questions you might have, and I would be uh, more than happy to answer your questions. And if you do want to shoot me hate mail, I will engage in that, depending huh. on how much hate there is there. Okay, um, so let, let's talk some recruiting. So. The Beavs have, as we record this podcast, I'm not expecting uh, any commitments uh, on Thursday night as we record this, Brandon, but Beavs have... Now it's going to happen now that you mentioned it, though. <laughs> so Oregon State fans, if this happens, um, I'm the person to thank. <laughs> so you look at the commitment list, um, Oregon State has 14 pledges, uh, you add in the four transfers um that have just been talked about non-stop it seems like the past couple months and quarterback Tristan Jebbia linebacker Avery Roberts linebacker Addison Gums and a receiver Tyjon Lindsay all four-star top what 150 guys in the class of 2017 all are um, redshirt sophomores in 2019 for the Beavs and then Oregon State is adding um, offensive lineman Joshua Bocut and Joshua Gray, um, both from years prior. Um, Bocut was a uh, Latter Day Saints mission 
recruit in the class of 2017. He's expected to join the program, I believe another in January. Guy, uh, yeah, another guy from my alma mater, Sherwood. Sherwood. Ice. Yep. Yeah, I got to so give some got to give some shout out to Josh Bocut for sure. Yeah, so he was teammates with David Morris um, back in 2016, and, and they both signed in 2017. And uh, but Bocut was just a ceremonial signee and is expected to come in. And then Gray is the other one. He was a gray shirt last year. Um, so Gray is coming in. So that brings your total to 20. Um, and Oregon State has room, you know, kind of speculate. The How many recruits you can bring in should be very, like, this is just what it is. This is just the cold hard numbers of it but it just really doesn't work out like that it's it's hard to explain but Oregon State's look you look to bring in about four or five more that's kind of my uh, informed opinion I should say and I, I, you're not seeing a whole lot of drama and lack of official visitors as I say this right now the Beavs had just two official visitors last last weekend and zero this weekend uh, as we stand the weekend before signing day which is kind of crazy to think about but Beef's got their business done, you know, for the past several months, and the transfers and the uh, the two uh, offensive linemen coming in in January bolster those numbers and really help out. But yeah, Oregon State's taking care of business, and it's kind of nice that uh, well, it might not be nice for business to not have drama because drama sells, you know, at this time of the year. But Oregon State's taking care of what they needed to take care of, and. They might add, um, if, if you made me give you a number, I think they're going to add two or three next week. And then you could see, uh, you know, a couple more in the February signing day. So I kind of like the low drama. It, it's nice. Um, but that's just kind of where Oregon State recruiting is right now. Uh, I could be totally off and they might sign six uh, next Wednesday. But that's just kind of the vibe right now that I have. Um wanted to mention something else, but it, it, it's losing me. Brendan, do you have anything to add on recruiting? Well, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I really like the class. You know, like you said, I think there's some guys that are much better than the, you know, the stars indicate. You know, we talk about it all the time that stars don't define success or, you know, define a player. There's plenty of examples of lower star guys, uh, you know, having a success. And there's plenty of examples See Christian Wallace of four star guys that <laughs> that, that don't have success. Who, let, so, let, you brought up Wallace um, before you could before you continue, Brandon. So I guess Wallace tweeted that he's transferring and then deleted the tweet and then never said anything else on that. Very odd. Very yeah. Did, odd. You, did you see that? That that was posted yeah. on the message board. Yeah, I've I've actually uh, seen him around Corvallis a couple times just in passing and just the last uh, just two weeks just okay. out and about. So he's still here, as far as I know. Um, Weird deal, because last year he got his, uh, even Oregon State announced that, maybe they didn't announce, they just sent an email that he he got his release and was going to transfer, and then he stuck around. Yeah, I remember his uh, his mom ended up being a, a real defining force of kind of the finish what you started kind of a thing. And, yeah. you know, Wallace played mostly special teams this year and um, struggled to make an impact on the field. You know, I've heard the, the scuttlebug that he wanted to move closer to his family and go back to Texas. But like you said, uh, nothing official. I saw him about a week ago. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely still up in the air in terms of him. But, you know, a couple guys that I really like from this class, I think Evan Bennett, as you mentioned, is a guy who I think could step in and play uh, right away uh, on that defensive line. Um, I also like um, uh, Winston Russell and JoJo Forrest, too. I think those guys are a couple guys that uh, could see the field right away. A couple of these defensive backs for Oregon State is intriguing, especially with the departure of Dwayne Williams. Yeah. So, well, um, you know. That departure was expected, and then. Thank you, Brandon, for bringing him up as well because we didn't. Uh, so Dwayne Williams, um, and I hate to cut you off, but so Dwayne Williams was a senior graduating, moving on, right? That's just what we expected. But then he announces that he got a medical red shirt to get a sixth year. So it's like, oh, great. But then he's like, but I'm transferring. But I'm out. <laughs> so, I mean, good for Dwayne. But, like, you think about it. He basically said, hey, Oregon State, can you get me this six-year? Like, talk to them about getting this medical red shirt. And I don't know if he said, but I'm going to (laughs) transfer. But he got the medical red shirt, and I was like, all right, deuces. 
I'm out. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's that that certainly is interesting. And, you know, you wonder if maybe he just kind of felt like his time at Oregon State was wrapped up. You know, he graduated with his class. Um, we saw the same thing from Kendall Hill a couple years ago, kind mm-hmm. of the same thing where Kendall Hill, uh, you know, walked on senior day and then about a week afterwards pretty much posted the same thing that Dwayne Williams did. And yeah. that was uh, with the, with Coach Anderson's staff as he was a Riley guy. So, you know, I think that happens, and it happens in any sort of thing. And you look at Oregon State bringing in Alex Austin, bringing in Winston Russell in the defensive backfield. They've also got the impending return of Jay Irvine, you know, a couple other guys. Um, so I, I think the secondary was crowded. It'll it'll hurt to lose the leadership of Williams for sure. But at the same token, um, you know, Jonathan Smith wants guys who are here, and, you know, Dwayne Williams didn't want to be here. Yeah. Um, the thing I forgot, but remembered is we do have questions for the, um, from the message board. We haven't done that in the past few podcasts. So, um, I did not prepare (laughs) really a lot for that because I forgot, but we are going to, uh, tackle some questions from the message board for this podcast. But before we do, um, quickly, let's talk some Oregon state men's and women's basketball. And I think something, um, that sets us apart is, um, our, our basketball coverage, Brendan. I think you do a great job. Um, so, Oregon State men's team six and two. Um, they play Texas A and M in Portland this weekend, and then Oregon State women's basketball seven and one, and they're they're in Maui um, this week. Um, Brendan, you were at men's availability this week. Um, talk to the Tinkles, and um, you know, talk to the players there, and then. Um, you know, you were at the women's game this past Saturday, so you've been around the programs. Um, just give us a rundown of Oregon State basketball right now. Well, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, we'll go ahead and start with the with the men's team. And, you know, the big the big revelation this week, is, as we saw on BeaversEdge.com a couple days ago, was that uh, the former BYU transfer and four-star recruit Peyton Dastrup uh, is taking some pretty drastic measures to plead his case to the NC2A and um, you know, Wayne Tinkle, you know, for those that watched the video, he didn't really hold back. He was fired up. And I was, you know, almost kind of like, I wonder how the NC2A is going to feel about this. But uh, yeah, he's not holding back any uh, emotions or opinions. And you can tell that uh, the Beavers are frustrated and kind of feel a little bit slighted by the process. And, um, you know, the, the biggest thing there is, you know, he's still trying. His family's hired an attorney. They feel they've got another strong case for an appeal. Uh, I think that would be an unbelievable addition this year, and I think he would really, really help this team. So keep an eye out for that. And, and other than that, you, you know, you got to look ahead to Saturday, and that's uh, the Dam City Classic, just the one game at Moda Center, um, Saturday night, 8 p.m. Um, I'll be at that game. It's a huge game against Texas A&M, and for an Oregon State team that really needed to win this St. Louis game to kind of bolster that non-conference tournament resume, um, you know, this this game's a must-win against an SAC school. Absolutely. Um, luckily, Oregon State did get a little bit of help earlier this week as Penn defeated Villanova. So that helps out Oregon State's, you know, non-conference strength to schedule a little bit. Um, you That's know, right. Villan- yeah, Oregon State beat Penn Villan- by like 20 earlier this year. Yeah, yeah. So Villanova's not not quite what they you know where they are normally, but still Villanova's ranked. That definitely helps. And you know you look at all the new metrics that go into tournament play, and that's what this team is shooting for. And um, this last game, Trace Tinkle and um, Stevie Thompson had really tough games. And you know I wrote a couple weeks ago that the the big three will take the Beavers as far or as short as they carry. And this last week. Um, just Ethan Thompson had a, had a solid game and the Beavers struggled. So, you know, it's, it's, they got to get creative ways to keep moving the ball around, getting all their guys involved. Zach Reichel needs to continue to step up. Alfred Hollins didn't make a shot this last game. That can't happen again. So lots of little things. I'm sure they're still tweaking things, but you know, this team's got the NCAA tournament on their mind. And, uh, I think they're going to continue to fight all the way through. And then women's basketball, um, man, Brandon, I'm pulling up your story that you wrote today, um, with, with, uh, I should say on Thursday, this quote from destiny Slocum, I thought was 
man, she she just gets it, man. Like you talk talk about uh, when the when the uh, Oregon State girls were talking about how they just love Destiny when she came on her visit and how she just fit in with the culture. Th- this is what they're talking about. So this is what Slocum said. Uh, I believe it was um, after their last game. Um, um, she was talking about the Beavs being in Hawaii, and she said basketball is really important to us, but so is what is the most important thing about our culture, um, which is reaching out and affecting people in the way we can. Now we can put all our all. Excuse me, I cannot talk. She said now we can put our all into the kids and basketball. How much better can it get? So she is. Just saying, yeah, basketball's great, but man, we get to go down to Hawaii and impact people. Like, what a great young woman yeah. Destiny Slocum is. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, um, and it's crazy to think, you know, she's only, you know, a redshirt sophomore. You're talking about someone who still has, you know, multiple years of eligibility left and has just fit this program, you know, like a glove. And, um, you know, she's kind of been the keys. You know, she leads the team in points, leads the team in assists, and, you know, you throw her out there, and the De- Beavers, you know, with Slocum are a much different team than they have been, you know, in years past. You know, whether uh, a couple years ago it was kind of the the Sydney Weiss show, before that it was kind of the Jamie Wisner and Ruth Hamblin show, and then even last year was really the Marie Gulich show with Michaela Pivik at the point. This year the Beavers don't have that dominant big that they've had in the last couple years. You know, coming into the season you figured it might be uh, Andrea Aquino, but she's going to redshirt this year, so... You know, the Beavers go with that small ball lineup with Taya Corrochdale at the five. And Slocum is surrounded by four unbelievable shooters. And the Beavers have been, you know, really fun to watch. They move the ball around uh, really well. Their assists are unreal. Sometimes they, you know, like I said, they pass up the good look for and then pass up another really good look for an extremely good look. So, you know, no selfishness in this team. You know, they're, they want to go back to Maui, give back to the community. And, you know, I mean, when you have someone that cares so much about community outreach in addition to basketball, that's just what the Beavers and Scott Ruick are all about. And, you know, we talked earlier about what does Oregon State as a football program need to do to hone in? Well, you can take a page out of Scott Ruick's book. He has made it all about the community yeah. and all about the family. You know, they have it all over the um, Valley or the Valley Football Center, the <laughs> basketball practice facility. You know, just that we, you know, family. Family is their big thing, and then and you know, in women's basketball, that is you know fit like a glove. You know, you look at Oregon State; they're going toe to toe with most anybody in the country in terms of being able to get recruits that buy into their culture and buy into the whole family atmosphere. And, you know, at this point, you know, Scott Ruick just kind of sits back, turns the keys and coaches along the way, but he's got one heck of a team. Yeah. You, you mentioned the practice facility, which just brought me back to when I met Wayne Tinkle last year. And, you know, I've, you know, wrote about his kids and, you know, at Oregon state and I could have, you know, said a, a number of different things, but I froze when I met him. Just the how big of a human being he was, and I'm I'm six three. I'm a I'm a big dude, and he made me feel like a shrimp. Uh, um, how yeah. do you think I feel, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to a guy that's five nine, five ten on, on a good, good day. day. On a good on day. On a good day. Maybe some tall shoes I can push the five. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. <laughs> Some nice Nike high tops I might get there. Let, let's get into our final segment, questions for the podcast. I apologize if I don't answer your question that you submitted. Um, didn't get a whole lot of time to prep for this. I'm sorry. And we had a ton of feedback. Uh, Q Beaver asks, will OSU announce the signings of Bocut Gray Gums on the early signing day? That is a fantastic question, Lance. I believe it will be February. Um that they announce those guys or maybe they announce them once they get on campus in January. If, if they all do get on campus in January, like expecting, I don't know. Um, the beeves might just kind of wait until February to kind of announce that whole class at one time. I'm not exactly sure. Um, maybe I'm wrong and they announce them next week, but I don't think so because I believe they will be getting on campus in January. 
Hail the Flat Tell asks, um, do you expect any surprises for the early signing period? Um, out, outside of the main targets that I wrote about today, um, and, and Hail the Flat Tell, you asked me a question on that thread, so you know what I'm talking about. I don't think so. I think it's just the guys you're looking at. Maybe the Beavers have some kind of you know, silent commitment that nobody knows about. Maybe. But as far as I know... Um, you know, doesn't look like any surprises right now. I would say if they like get Jason Rodriguez, who is a, uh, you know, USC top 120 kid in the country, that would be a surprise that th- we know they're trying to recruit. If they would get him, yeah, I would be surprised, but I'm not expecting that. Um, Brendan, I'll, I'll ask you this one. It's another question from Hail the Flat Tail. He says, from what you're seeing now, do you feel the new transfer rules are a good thing for the athletes themselves? So the new rule where you can play up to four, uh, you know, four games and redshirt and, and transfer and, and that whole thing. I believe that's what he's talking about, transfer rules. I, I would imagine, you know, just looking at the Jebias and the Avery Roberts and the... Um, the, you know, the Addison Gums of the world. I guess that's what he's getting at. Uh, transfer. Is there new transfer rules that have happened that I don't know about? No, I believe that's true. And, you know, um, I think it goes both ways. I think it's a good thing, uh, but I think it also opens the door for a lot of kids to kind of not buy into the process of the school and it gives them a really easy out if they, you know, don't like, you know, uh, don't get the playing time right away. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more old school in the sense of kind of where you – where you start is kind of, you know, where you have to, you know, lay your roots and do everything you can to be an impact player on the field. But the same token, you know, you can some, you know, um, these are 18 year old kids that are making these decisions going to schools and, you know, um, 18 year old kids make mistakes. They pick the wrong school, maybe for the wrong reasons, or maybe coaching change happens or what have you. Uh, so I think it's twofold. I think the rule can be maybe abused a little bit, but I think it's good for the fact that, you know, you kind of give those these young kids that, you know, they're making one of the biggest decisions of their life at 18 years old. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out kind of all rosy like you'd expect. Uh, next couple of questions from Jump Drive, who actually emailed me as we were uh, recording this podcast. So thankfully, somebody will email me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so he asked, and we'll post this one for you, Brendan. Will the O-line be better next year with the new guys on board? And I'll add on with the guys Oregon State loses. So do you think, um, you know, the Beavers offensive line will be better? Um, they, they're bringing in a lot of offensive linemen this season. Um, and the one junior college guy, Rob Vanderlaan, um, is coming in. I think it's a true, he's a true sophomore, so he's got plenty of time. Do you think the offensive line is going to be better next season? Put it this way, for Oregon State's sake, they better hope so. Yeah. You know, uh, I th- I think um, I think Jim Mahalchek is obviously one of the best uh, on the West Coast uh, in terms of you know recruiting ability and being able to you know coach a line. However, this year, you know, you, the numbers don't lie. Oregon State was last in the FBS in sacks, and it was by a pretty sizable margin. Sacks allowed, excuse me, by a pretty wide margin, and. Simply put, you know, I've talked about it numerous times, regardless of how good Tristan Jebby is, if there's not a line to protect him, it ain't going to matter. So, you know, I think Oregon State, you know, they keep the the crux of what I believe to be uh, their two best offensive linemen in Bla- Blake Brand- Brandle, like Candle, <laughs> like Candle, Bla- Blake Brandle like Candle, yep. and um, Gus Lavaca. Uh, the center position is still kind of up for grabs, in my opinion, and I think it's going to be crucial um, for them to get someone who can play solidly there because I think anyone who can play solid will be an upgrade over Sumner Houston, uh, who kind of, you know, struggled a little bit. Uh, you know, adjusting the position was kind of the best option because Oregon State didn't really have a, a good other option to play center. And then uh, in terms of Trent Moore and Cammy Delp, I think those guys – um, are replaceable, and I think Brandon Kipper and Jake Levengood figure to come in and seize those spots. But at the same token, you'll be breaking in three new offensive linemen, and yeah. that's never easy to do. And not to mention, Oregon State's going to have to see how those three offensive linemen, uh, those three new linemen, play against a top quality competition in Oklahoma State Week One. So 
uh, you know, I, I really like the talent. I, I think Kipper and Levengood are solid. You know, we've been, you know, you as well, Mike, we've been hearing really good things about those two guys. Um, all season, you know, Kipper got eligible halfway. I think it was about halfway through the season. Played a little bit in some of the more lopsided contests. Invaluable Levin- experience because either yeah. way he was going to redshirt. So he just got some experience. Yeah, and then Levengood, you know, redshirted this season. But he his size and physicality makes him an ideal tackle. And I think he presents a significant upgrade over Trent Moore if he can kind of be the player we're expecting him to be. So, yeah, I think they can be much better next year. So that was the very long answer from Brendan Slaughter. (laughs) Here's the short answer. It just depends, I think, largely on if they get uh, a Nathan Eldridge or if they get a Jason Rodriguez or if they get a Sayali Liku. Uh, Some of the guys they're going after that could come in and play right away. Um, here's just an interesting question. Any idea on who will join Gary Anderson's staff at Utah State? Well, we've already seen that TJ Woods is going to go there. Oh, really? Uh, that was, yeah, that was confirmed earlier Do today. Do you think Corey Hall would go? Possible, and if Corey Hall goes there, I'd say that'd be an absolute uh, slam dunk landing spot for Dwayne Williams, and I don't doubt that for a second. And I think but, uh, if Corey Hall goes there and gets a DC job, I think that'd be um, pretty good for him. But yeah, you know, because I, I believe he, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he wasn't retained by Central Michigan after being the uh, interim head coach. So I think he's back out on the job market as far as I know. And you got to figure, you know, um, uh, predictable is maybe the one way to describe Gary Anderson. He ends up at he ends up at uh, Utah with his best buddy Whittingham, and it sure does look like he's bringing back the same cast of characters. So I I, uh, I certainly don't think he'll go to San Jose State and grab a Kevin McGiven to be his offensive coordinator, but I, I'm not sure I'd put much past him at this point. Yeah, um, that Oregon State-Utah game in research just got a lot less interesting. I'll say that. Agreed, agreed. Um, OSU Beef um, wants to know what Josh Gray weighs. Um, I, I don't know how much he benches in squats, but um, he wants to know that. Um, but Josh Gray, um, he played as an offensive lineman, um, and maybe he played some tight end. I can't remember if Josh Gray played some tight end last year, but he played about 245, uh, which is not a whole lot. He's up to about 275 right now. Um, so Josh Gray, the gray shirt was, uh, very good for, um, uh, Mr. Gray. No pun intended there, um, but yeah, so gained, what, about 30 pounds uh, of good weight, so Josh Gray is going to come in, and um, yeah, is a, is a true freshman that's uh, going to be a year older than the other guys. Um, JRU1 asks if OSU is going to go after a late signing of a quarterback. They will only have four, if no Luton. I think it means four scholarship quarterbacks. What, um, Levjebia? Um, Coletto, Willard, and um, who am I missing? Oh, um, at quarterback for Oregon State? Yeah. Or, or, so you've, yeah, because you've got Jebbia, you've got Coletto, you've got Aiden Willard, and... Or is that just three scholarship quarterbacks? And, what, who are we missing? Because, you did, because Nick Moore is not on scholarship, correct? That's correct. Yeah, so I think I think as of right now, with uh, the departure of... Connor Blount, I believe that's correct. Right, they would just have. So he was saying he had four on or four quarterbacks. Period. But I'm thinking. Oh, and then obviously, um, I, I've I, I asked around a little bit. I haven't heard anything uh, good or bad. But then another guy, if he came back for and was granted the eligibility, Jake Luton would be another guy that would be still right. on scholarship in his sixth. Uh, nothing new yet. Hoping to hear something probably soon. Um, in terms of Luton, because, you know, this is right around the time Dwayne Williams was, you know, let know or, you know, kind of let know either way from the NC2A. So I yeah. expect, you know, Oregon State to have some news on Luton sooner than later. But, yeah, if Oregon, Oregon State, if Luton doesn't come in, yeah, is not able to come back. Just three scholarship quarterbacks. So, again, JRU's question, um, will OSU go for a late signing of a quarterback right now? They are not targeting a quarterback that I know of. Um, I just have not heard anything. Maybe they have a plan for um, finding a guy in January for the February signing period or maybe looking at, you know, it could be a number of things. I've seen schools, you know, get a 
a, sign a junior college kid in, in May mm-hmm. uh, quarterback, or, you know, you can see a grad transfer coming for depth. You know, there was the Rut- Rutgers kid that Jamar Jefferson was tweeting that Oregon State should get. So well, we'll see. Uh, just a, a great example. How late in the game last year did uh, Washington State get Gardner Minshew the second? Yeah, that was Great. pretty late. I mean, you're talking, I, you know, I believe the, you know, um, it was sometime uh, in late, eight, you know, I think I want to say it was almost like April or May. It was pretty late in the game. So, and, and, you know, they found an impact guy. So there's guys that can be impactful because as of right now, um, if you're Jonathan Smith, do you really feel comfortable with any one of those guys if Jebbia goes down, my thought would be no. Gotcha. Um, yeah, Nazarite. I'm scrolling down. Want to know about official visitors this weekend again? It's not that I don't know, like who's coming in. It's just that I think there's nobody. Like that's just kind of what I'm hearing. Um, chances with Nathan Eldridge, the Arizona um, grad transfer center that I alluded to earlier. You know, he told uh, Nemec at the uh, the Oregonian, I have not been able to talk with Eldridge since his visit, but um, Eldridge told him that uh, he's still visiting other schools, so I guess it's just a wait and see. With with Eldridge, he's, he doesn't have to sign next week. He's a grad transfer, so he's got uh, time on his side so he can visit other schools. Um, you gotta like you gotta like his chances though com- with the relationship of Mahalcha. Oh, absolutely. That, that is, it, it can't be undervalued. They're obviously not a guarantee, but um, you know, I mean, if he, if Mahalchuk feels that he's an impact center, I think they're gonna do everything they can to get him because that's a position of need. And then also, depending on what happens with uh, Luku, is that how you say it? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, for, uh, pardon my uh, mispronunciation, but I think that's gonna be big because obviously a guy they're familiar with. And a guy Coach M knows pretty well, so yeah, I I would think the odds are better than you know an average school, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, for sure. Um, Jru one ask another question, um, not counting Luton again. Do you think Willard or Moore have the tools to take over for Coletto as a number two behind Tristan Jebbia? Mm. Um, based on what I've seen so far. Uh, with limited reps for Willard and, you know, watching Nick Moore in practice uh, all the way through fall camp. Um, I don't think so. I think Coletto presents the most upside. He is a, um, you know, a Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren recruit. Uh, I think he, you know, obviously kind of had a, a, a poor going out by having the, you know, late interception against the Ducks. Didn't end his season on the highest note, but you know, he offered the Beavers a real uh, mobile package this last year and kind of got better as the season went along. Um, I expect him to put on some more weight and improve his throwing ability because I think he's got the ability. He seems to hone it in a little bit. And I don't see those other two guys overtaking him. I really don't. Agreed 100%. Um, Longer podcast here, Brendan. Uh, Just (laughs) last thing. We'll take this last question and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, Shane9299 asks, of the recruits expected to sign a letter of intent with OSU next week, who is your MVP of the class and who is your sleeper pick? This is the kind of stuff that this just makes me very happy. This is what I really love about recruiting is this kind of stuff. Uh, I'll go. I'll start with sleeper. Hmm. Um... There's, I'm going to go with Ryan Frankie because at the time when he committed, my sources were super fired up about him and thought that, again, like I mentioned earlier, um, if he played like an outside linebacker, edge rusher at Oaks Christian High School, he probably would be highly more highly recruited. But since he played more interior defensive linemen, um, you know, he was overlooked because he was 6'4", 215, playing defensive tackle. So uh, a lot of schools um, just kind of looked over him. So I'm going to say Ryan Frankie is my sleeper. I don't think even a lot of the media talks about Ryan Frankie much um, at, at Oregon State. Really solid recruit. And then the MVP of the class. Um, for me, when I think MVP, I could easily just say Omar Spates because that's the four star. That'd be easy. But I'm gonna, you know, you look at like last year. It's uh, it was obviously Isaiah Smalls because he was like the leader of the class, right? Um, but for this one, for this class, 
Hmm. I, I honestly might go um, with Michael Erhart. I think he's yeah, he's just been a solid kid he's, um, from Southern California and made a couple trips up to Oregon State on his own dime to visit unofficially. Um, so I might go with Michael Erhart. He committed. Uh, he was that f- when Oregon State had a that big official visit weekend in June, a couple days before I got married, of course. Um, <laughs> scheduled my wedding date before we knew that you know hey you could have official visitors in april may and june Um, right so yeah he led that commitment charge and um he's just a great advocate for oregon state football um in that class um otherwise i might look at kelson hennessy as the first commit of the class and being an in-state guy Uh, might look at evan bennett um as a really talented guy and he was a big get for oregon state um, he's listed at 6'3", 310. He looks a lot smaller uh, right now and looking at those home visit pictures with him standing next to um, Jonathan Smith. But, you know, he's a state champ in Southern California and, um, you know, Arizona poached him late and he spurned the Wildcats to stick with the Beavs. So those are some some guys, but uh, I also uh, like Luke Musgrave a lot and I might throw him in yeah. that uh, that sleeper Um that sleeper class, but that's my thoughts. Um, Brendan, you, you got any two cents just real quick before we wrap up? Of course. Uh, my first MVP, and you're going to get a kick out of this, is Jonathan Smith's apparel, rocking the leather jacket wherever he goes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I had to I had to, I had to, get a plug in there. He's rocking the leather, almost like um, he's taken out of the time machine a little bit, wouldn't you say, Mike? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um in terms of a sleeper, you know, I really like Alex Austin a lot. Um, I think he could be a solid player. Um, you know, I like um, I like that he's you know from um, Long Beach uh, Poly High School. That 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 program pumps out a lot of talent. I'm not sure he's going to be impactful, but I like him as a sleeper just because um, you know he's more of that you know kind of um, you know he's six foot one, one seventy five, three star guy. You know, not a ton of you know, big time offers uh, outside of, you know, some Mountain West schools and whatnot. But I remember when we talked about him not too long ago, we were both pretty high on the on the pipeline that he's come through. So I like his uh, as a sleeper. Um, man, you know, it's tough to pick like an MVP or a, a guy that I think is going to come in. Uh, just from what you've told me about Michael Earhart, I would have to say that's a solid pick. Um, I also think, you know, uh, Omar Spates, you know, playing potentially uh, with, you know, his brother Jeremy, uh, or uh, I believe brother or half-brother. Yeah, uh, brother either way. Yeah, and uh, I think that could be unique, you know, the four-star guy, but uh, I also really like – Evan Bennett, and I also like JoJo Forrest a lot too. So it's I, I kind of got a, a a bit of a tie for uh, guys, but those are the guys that I like a lot. Yeah, great stuff, Brendan. Appreciate uh, you giving us your recruiting insight as well, um, Beaver fans. If you listen to this whole fifty minute something <laughs> podcast, props to you, Brendan and I. Absolutely, uh, we're cranking out the Edge podcast now every week. Um, before it was either like every other week or maybe like once a month. Um, yeah. During the football nice season. to have it back. Yeah, nice. getting it going. I think we have a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, if you listen to this whole podcast, uh, shoot me an email. Let me know um, if you want to hate on me. Let me know. Uh, Beaversedge one at gmail Thank you so much for listening to the entire podcast. This is where I would cue some cool outro music, but we don't have that. So see ya. <laughs>